probably uh, heard the problem yourself at a time or two. There's a young child in church, probably sitting right behind you, who's not having a good morning at all. Or, or perhaps it's even your own child sitting right next to you. Midway through the sermon, the, uh, the crying starts. Now, which do you think is the better thing to do? Should small children be kept in the nursery? Should older children have their own children's church? Or should the children be kept in the church? How do we decide an issue like that? Do we decide it on the basis of adult comfort or on the children's spiritual needs? And just what are the spiritual needs that children have? This is Dr. Joke, Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. And today I'm hosting, sitting in for Kay Meyer, for today's program. And our guest is Dr. Shirley Morgenthaler, Professor of Early Childhood at Concordia University, River Forest, Illinois, and Director of the Kid Faith Program. Welcome to Family Shield, Shirley. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, I began this typical scenario having difficulties with children in church, and uh, most of us try to decide this kind of a question simply on the basis of our own opinion. Now, you and your colleagues at uh, Concordia University River Forest have done a ton of research on these very questions of children's spiritual development. If you were in the situation and there's the disruptive child, how would you answer that question? First of all, I would probably, I would hope that I could do something to minimize the disruption before it got that awful, because there is a point at which you do need to uh, remove a child from church. But before that, there are lots of other things that you can and should do. I believe that children should be in church worshiping with their parents and grandparents and all the other people that are there. And so a little disruption is really not so awful because it's an indication that children are there and are participating. I know in my own practice, uh, when I was a parish pastor, if I was in a church and there were no sounds of children in the church, I actually became somewhat uh, concerned. Exactly. I, I believe that, that uh, worship needs to be an intergenerational celebration of the love of God, and if children aren't there, it's not very intergenerational. Absolutely not. Now, again, you've been involved in the Children in Worship Research Project, which uh, is is an attempt to try and focus in on just what variables are operative here, what's going on in the spiritual development of the young child that's happening in the worship setting. Could you explain to us a little bit about how this study was done and some of the results that we found? Well, one of the things that we did at the beginning is we had done lots of research and, and review of, of uh, current theories and the literature in the area of faith formation and discovered the work of John Westerhoff, who um, is talking about formation as a dynamic and um, intrapersonal as well as interpersonal uh, phenomenon, and that he's not talking about faith as it is begun in baptism or in the giving of faith through the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about uh, a child's or an adult's understanding of that faith, understanding of the relationship that God has begun. And in that, there are several variables that are absolutely critical. One of those is the intentionality of the adults involved. Another one is the ritual and predictability of what is happening. And another one is just simply the environment itself, the environment that speaks to the child and says, this is a place where God is celebrated. Well, how do we create that kind of an uh, environment in which the child feels as if this is, if this is his home, too? Well, 
I, I think there are a variety of things, and I think there are some things that individuals can do that make this very important. First of all, I would like for every worship committee and every pastor uh, and worship planner to get on a scooter, one of those little things that's about six inches from the floor, uh-huh. and uh, ride around the church as if he or she were at a four-year-old's level, because then you get a sense of what church looks and feels like to a child. And I think we need to pay attention to that. Are there banners? Are there stained glass windows? Are there things that non-verbally say, um, this is church, this is a place where we talk about God? Um, the medieval Christians had it right. When In the day of Martin Luther, most people couldn't read and write, and so stained glass windows were not an accident. They told the story of God um, non-verbally. Uh, in our newer churches, we don't have that kind of thing. We've, what, what we're doing is substituting banners instead, but often banners don't really tell the story in the same way that stained glass windows used to. So in some way you're saying that the worship atmosphere itself is part of what communicates the message of the gospel to the child. Absolutely. Perhaps even more so than, than the music or, or the preaching of the sermon. Well, the music and the preaching of the sermon are also extremely important. In the, in the second study that we're doing right now, we're discovering that even the very youngest child perks up and listens for special music. Um, that was a surprise to me, that they were really very interested in what was happening in, in the music arena in the, in the worship service. Earlier you mentioned that uh, uh, the, the actual experience of faith that the young child has is very formative at this stage. Mm-hmm. And as I think back for myself of what, what church was for me, going back to my very earliest memories, I find that it was a place that was very warm. It was a very special place for me. Uh, my, uh, my father spent a lot of time working away from the home, and Sunday morning was the time when I was on his lap in worship. And for me, that just created this whole environment of, of safety, security, and family. And that's what formation is all about. Formation is really more af- affective than, conf- uh, than uh, uh, cognitive. It is not the information, but it is the affirmation of my faith and of my relationship. And, and sitting on your father's lap and feeling that comfort and security is really a metaphor for sitting on God's lap mm-hmm. and feeling the comfort and security of God taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important um, understanding for a child. And, and that feeling then gets, gets legs through the things that you learn about God, but you, you almost need the feeling as a part of that at the beginning. That worship environment is the safe place where those things can start happening for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they don't happen at home. I certainly think they ought to. But there's, there's something about uh, we're also formed into the community of believers, and I think children need to know that it's not just my family who believes this stuff, but it's, every, you know, it's a whole bunch of families that believe this stuff, and that makes it much more important and affirming for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if 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 the children are always placed in a nursery or dismissed early on in the service to go and spend time by themselves, they're losing out on this opportunity. Yes, they are. They, what what they're then learning is that um, when I get older, whenever that is, I can finally be a part of this. But by by the time they get there, um, they ha- they don't know the rituals. 
And so then they're, they're still learning those rituals, and, and often then that happens at a point when children are extremely self-conscious and don't want to try to learn the rituals. I've seen this happen, uh, I think, in the past, uh, particularly, let's say, with, with a uh, child growing up in a home where the family faith practice is primarily Christmas and Easter. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, while for the parents they may have some um, affective memories, for example, that create the worship environment, even if they're only there for those special events, for the child this becomes a very strange place to go to with people doing very strange things, and exactly. it's not part of their regular uh, lifestyle. Right, exactly. And see, I believe that children should be um, in the worship service with their parents and with the, the worshiping congregation from the very beginning, from the first Sunday that they are brought to church. The, if, if the parents have been regular churchgoers before this child was born, that ch- child has already been in church for nine months. That child has already heard the worship because they can hear uh, six months before they're born. So they've heard the worship. They felt it. They've they've uh, sensed the beat of the music. They've participated in the standing up and sitting down even before they were born. Um, so it's not a matter of saying, oh, you know, they don't know any of this. If you try and take a three-year-old to church that's been in a church nursery for three years, you're going to have a difficult time. There's a foreign environment. Yes. But you're suggesting then that even before birth, uh, the child's already starting to pick up, what what do you say, habits? or Yes. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're picking up the expectations. Mm-hmm. This is when we stand up. This is when we sit down. I call that the dance of liturgy. Um, it's, you know, what what's going to happen next? I find this with my grandchildren. Even though they don't worship with us on a regular basis because they don't live right here, um, even on an intermittent basis, they sense the dance of the liturgy because it is predictable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's look at the situation of the of the small child who's coming to worship. Now, you suggested earlier that the worship planner should get on their own little scooter mm-hmm. and just tour the church building. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine with us for our for our listening audience what. What is that uh, church professional now going to see as they're on the scooter moving around? What will they notice that they haven't noticed before? Um, They will notice that, especially in the back of the church, you will see the backs of pews, or if there are people sitting in them, you'll see the backs of their heads. And so for a young child whose primary participation is standing up when everyone else does and sitting down when everyone else does, if you really want them to see the altar, to see the pastor sitting in the back is absolutely the wrong place. But that's where we reserve space for children and uh, families with small children. I know, and it's <laughs> the wrong place. In the, in the first children in worship study that we did, where we, we visited 100 congregations and, and uh, looked, recorded their rituals and recorded their uh, environment, and then talked to the worship planner and said, okay, now how intentional are you about working with children and taking their perspective into account? Um, we discovered that about 35 congregations out of the 100 uh, reserve pews in the back. Four of them reserve pews in the front, and the rest don't reserve any at all, but probably most people do not sit towards the front. But reserving pews in the front, even if nobody goes there, sends a message that says, 
children are expected here, and children are expected to be sitting in a place where they can see. Uh-huh. So if they're up in front, then they can see what the pastor is doing, where yes. he's walking and moving around, and uh, just feel that much more involved in the whole worship event. Exactly. And the other piece of it is, if if the pews in the church are at all uh, compatible with booster seats, then I believe we should be getting booster seats for young children. Well, McDonald's has booster seats for young children. Every restaurant <laughs> worth its salt has mm-hmm. booster seats for children, and families with young children assess a restaurant on whether it has high chairs and booster seats and is, has the right kind of stuff for little kids. Mm-hmm. And they won't go back if it doesn't. So it's a sign of the welcome, welcoming attitude that the exactly. community has. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When my three-year-old grandson was a couple of months old, uh, we went to a restaurant with his parents and with him, and there was a high chair. And my daughter asked for it, and Mater D said, oh, no, it's reserved for somebody else, and we don't have another one. Hmm. Her reaction was priceless. It was, well, I'll never come back here with a little kid. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, is that the kind of message we want to be giving in church? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back on my scooter, and I'm again touring my church building <laughs> here, what else am I going to see? Well, I hope that you're going to see something that says this is a place where we talk about God, which would mean stained glass windows um, or banners that have recognizable um, pictures, Bible story type pictures, or something that will allow the, um, the adult to say, look at that, it tells us about mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. And, and that's another thing that I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to also hope that somewhere in a prominent, visible place at the back of the church is going to be a stack of maybe three or four or five booster chairs, which says to a family, hmm, this place thought about us before we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to hope that there are some, um, so, some uh, cloth bags with... Uh, figures of Jesus or quiet books that have pictures of Jesus in them or toddler Bibles or something that will um, help young children to focus on the message that God is worshipped here. Now, are these things that would then be distributed to the families as they came in for use during the service? Yes. The bags? Uh-huh. Yes. Now, uh, some uh, congregations use... Um, uh, children's bulletin insert. Is this the same kind of thing, or is, it, is, is this a little different than that? Well, I believe that the age level that needs these kinds of helps is the preschool age level, because uh, their attention span is shorter, and they can't focus as specifically on p- pieces of the worship, although there are pieces of the worship on which they can focus. My concern, and, and I, I know that there are, piece, there are aspects of the children's bulletins that are very good, and anything that, that says children expected here is better than nothing. But my concern with many of the activities in the children's bulletin is that they're really geared for the 9 to 11-year-old, and that child should be listening. Ah, mm-hmm. So we don't want to distract that child no. from uh, hearing the, the message as it's being preached or participating exactly. in the Exactly. That child needs to be participating in the worship because they are old enough to be able to be doing that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. 
So what, what I believe we need to do is we need to teach children from the very youngest time that even the sermon is something that they can listen to. Mm-hmm. When I do a children's message in church, I always ask the children at the end of it to get out two or three fingers, depending on how many, how many words I have, and then I put a word for the next sermon on each finger. And so one of the first word is always a word like God or Jesus or Holy Spirit. It's a God word. The second word might be love or trust or tomorrow it might be cross, because I know that uh, there are going to be some special things talked about in, in our particular worship service about the cross. Um, but I'll come up with something that I know will be there, and sometimes I can't resist and I add a third word. But that's, that's the maximum, because for a young child, that's really all they can listen for. We've been doing this now for a couple of years in this church, and parents are beginning to tell me that if whoever is doing the children's sermon forgets to give them words to listen for, then the parents have to hurry up and come up with some because they want to have words to listen for. What a marvelous way to teach how to listen mm-hmm. in a worship service. See, Which- in my own parenting, I was a part of the Cheerios generation, and I brought Cheerios to keep my kids occupied during the sermon. But that teaches them to tune out. Uh-huh. Now, should they, can you bring Cheerios as a last resort? Absolutely. But that's not the first resort. The first resort is to say, okay, let's listen for God's name. Mm-hmm. And what I find is they actually look at you and poke you and say, he said it. He really said it. <laughs> and that's just so motivating for them to continue to listen for the exactly. next word. Exactly. And to come back the next Sunday and, and do the same exercise again. That's right. The last time I had my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson with us in church, um, he was being a little bit wiggly during the reading of the Gospel, and, but I had brought him a toddler Bible for him, and I had my own Bible in my lap. And at some point, not, just as a spur of the moment, I had no, no preconceived intention to do this, I put my Bible on his lap. He was sitting in a, in a uh, booster chair next to me, and I put my Bible on his lap, and I said, Aiden, look. See the words in, my, in Grandma's book? Those are the same words that he's reading up there. The, the look on his face was priceless. He looked at the book. He looked at me. He looked at the person reading at that point, and then he looked back at the book, and he was totally awestruck. And he's, I mean, this is not a kid who's reading. This is a two-and-a-half-year-old. But he was certainly learning something there about what communication happens both visually auditorily and in the print medium, and, and light went on in his mind. Exactly, and he wasn't being told, well, there's reading going on now, but you can't understand it, so it's okay to play with your little truck. So after the break, we'll be continuing our discussion with Dr. Shirley Morgenthaler, professor of early childhood at Concordia University in River Forest, Illinois, here on Family Shield. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Live the Six. Being an Everyday Missionary. To request a complimentary copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Now, our guest for this morning is Dr. Shirley Morgenthaler from Concordia University River Forest. She is a professor of early childhood education and is very much involved with preparing 
teachers for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to be working in early childhood centers. And perhaps, Dr. Morgenthaler, you could share a little bit at this time about how you go about that task of preparing individuals for this special ministry opportunity there at Concordia River Forest. Well, Concordia has uh, majors in early childhood, elementary, and secondary education, as well as graduate programs that lead to certification in each of those areas or to advanced degrees in those areas. And in the early childhood arena, we include uh, coursework that looks at the spiritual nurture of the young child so that those persons interested in going into uh, Christian education will have an opportunity to learn about the kinds of things that you and I have been talking about for the last half hour. And you certainly have been able to accomplish a great deal in that area. Uh, there's two books that were just recently published in, in this last year by Concordia River Forest, and you were the editor for those books. Yes, I was the editor for the first one and the co-author for the second one. The first one is called Exploring Children's Spiritual Formation, uh, Foundational Issues, and it looks, <clears throat> excuse me, it looks at the the notion of spiritual formation or faith formation from a variety of perspectives, uh, theological, psychological, sociological, child development, physical, brain development, all of those areas, and we had um, experts in those ver- from those various perspectives um, uh, prepare and contribute things to that book. Actually, we had a couple of symposia um, in in the early 90s which then became the, the uh, stepping stone for the book to be produced. I had the uh, pleasure of being at several of those conferences and uh, found the, inter- the information so helpful and interesting that I even used this, this book as a textbook for a class I was teaching last quarter in confirmation instruction. Oh, and I'm glad to hear that. And you might find that surprising because this is dealing with early childhood f- spiritual formation, and mm-hmm. in confirmation instruction we're dealing with the adolescent junior high student but the uh, the intention of using the text was to indicate that what you've got in 7th and 8th grade is a result of what you received early on. Exactly. And we have to see where the foundations are laid and how things are beginning. The second book that, that uh, we published last year is called Children in Worship Lessons from Research, and it's a summary and a, and a report of what we learned, uh, what we discovered in the first Children in Worship study. And that's the hundred congregations that I was referring to a little while ago. So this is where the research is described uh, concerning what children are actually experiencing as they enter the church and participate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That's what we spent our time on in the first one. And now this, in this second uh, study that we're beginning, that we're, that we have just, we're in the process of piloting right now, uh, we're looking at not not what children experience, although that's a part of it still, but what they actually do mm-hmm. in worship. And let's say for a moment now that it's at the end of the service and I'm leaving church and pastor's there shaking hands and I'm in my scooter. What am I experiencing now? You're going to see knees and belt buckles. And so it's very important, in my opinion, for the adults to see and notice the child. I think it's extremely important for the pastor to shake the hand or um, touch the shoulder of every child that passes by. And in fact, um, when I do children's sermons, I'm standing back there with the pastor, and I make sure that I talk to the child before I talk to their parents. 
because I think it's that important to say this child is really important here. And, a, and I believe in bending down and having a nose-to-nose hello with each child. Now that's something I never did in my ministry until I attended one of these spiritual formation conferences. And you described that to me. And ever since that time, I've made a practice of kneeling down and looking at them eye to eye. And it's amazing what happens to them when the pastor does this. Oh, isn't it? The, the look on their face is priceless. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they just have the there's a communication going on there. They now know that that pastor has noticed them. That's right. And that he is their pastor too, not just mom and dad's pastor. That's exactly right. Now earlier you you made reference to a practice that many congregations and pastors are involved in, and then that is the children's sermon. Well, I, I believe we should be doing them. Um, I believe that it's a, another way to say. We really have planned for children to be here. Now, I think it's a, you know, it's a less than five-minute interval in the worship service. And he was sitting there, and the children were... Um, somehow the relationship with the children was, was very strong, and children were um, sitting as close as possible to him. They were looking at him, and he was having a conversation with the children, and had tuned everybody else out. We could have just as well not been there because he was focused on the children. And what that, that reminded me of the story of uh, Jesus welcoming the children and saying, let the little children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. This is after the disciples had said, he's too busy to the mothers. But Jesus said, no, I'm, not, I'm never too busy for children. And that's basically what this, this particular pastor's approach was saying, I'm never too busy for these children. Well, you've made a very important point here that just simply having the children's message or children's sermon communicates openness and welcoming and expectation that the children are going to be there. Exactly. But then once we have the children's message, we have to be pretty careful about um, how that's conducted in order to best communicate. Apparently, lectures don't work. Mm-mm. No, I think it's a conversation. And what I, what I try to do when I do it, it, in my particular parish, it's a variety of people, and, uh, because we believe that children should, be, uh, should experience uh, lay people and pastors alike help talking to them about God, that they need to know that other people besides the pastor can talk to them about God. And so it's a variety of people talking to them about God and telling them things about God, and and doing it in language that they can understand. I want to thank you, Dr. Morgenthaler, for uh, spending this hour with us this morning here on Family Shield and talking about some very significant aspects of what the Christian Church is as a community, as it offers to the very youngest in our community a means of connection, a means of recognition of who they are as part of the baptized community of Christ. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or Wright Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.